The Stolen Maniple Podcast is a production of St. Augustine of Canterbury Church, a Roman Catholic community of the personal ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, serving San Diego County, California. This episode features Father Samuel Keyes. Two scenes present themselves today. First, there's Moses on Mount Sinai pleading with God on behalf of the people's idolatry. We didn't hear the whole story of the golden calf in in our selection today, just God's reaction to it. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. But Moses reminds God of his promises, and in an echo of Psalm 74 from today's introit, He asks God to maintain his own cause. And remarkably, God does look graciously upon his covenant. And in the words of Exodus, he repents of the evil which he thought to do. Second, there's the parable of the prodigal son, or rather the parable of the two sons, as many people call it, which is in fact as much about the older brother than the younger, maybe more so even, When we consider the context, the whole conversation starts with the Pharisees criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners. In response, he tells two short parables, the finding of the lost sheep and the lost coin, riffing on the theme of heaven's joy at the repentance of a sinner. To drive the point home, the longer parable of the father and the two sons gives us an even worse sinner a sinner who reaches the the depths of depravity and misery, but who comes home to a father whose mercy and forgiveness rises to the challenge. In this version, though, the older brother gives a very clear representation of those who, like the Pharisees, resent the sinner's late repentance. These two scenes give us an opportunity to think about scripture and revelation in its totality. This is very important for for Catholics and and really for anyone who takes divine revelation seriously. We all know how easy and and problematic it is to to pick out a single verse from its context and and use it to form an erroneous opinion or take in further a whole new theology or Christian sect. But simple context doesn't always give us the tools to deal with difficult texts, such as the notion in Exodus 32, 14 that God repents. Now, if we have a primitive understanding of deity and think of God like the ancient Greeks thought of Zeus or the Canaanites thought about their Baals, there's no problem because gods are gods due to their immortality or their power, not due to their intrinsic metaphysical distinction from creation. Yet the Jewish scriptures as a whole give us a rather different picture of divinity. So the statement in Exodus 32 has to be paired quite directly with a statement like that of Numbers 23:19, where God is not a man that he should repent. On the surface, both of these verses cannot be true. So either we must interpret the one in the light of the other, or we must declare one to be incorrect, something that as loyal disciples we cannot do. 
The second statement on God's non-repentance actually reflects a growing understanding of God's nature that we see unfolding, not, not just in ancient Israel, but, but even among pagan philosophers like Socrates and Plato. For divinity to mean anything, the divine nature must be somehow transcendent. Otherwise, God is simply the biggest piece of creation. The Genesis shows God not just as the first thing, but as the source of everything that exists, which means that his own existence is categorically different from the existence of all created things. More and more as time goes on, the prophetic and wisdom literature of the Old Testament reflect this understanding. God's self-revelation, in other words, happens in stages. As Moses learns in Exodus, a, a, a full view of God's glory would destroy us. We can only see him from the back, from a distance, in passing, but as, as Paul speaks about it in the New Testament, the law was a kind of tutor, uh, training humanity towards a greater capacity, not just for virtue, but for vision. It's only in Christ and in the New Testament revelation of the Trinity that we see revelation in its fullness. What does all this mean for God's repentance in Exodus 32? Presumably Moses and the people of Israel do not yet have this full metaphysical understanding of the divine nature. So, so the tradition suggests that, that God allows himself to be known in an adapted anthropomorphic way. God doesn't change, but God's will does take into account human will and response. And this gets at the heart of the mystery of prayer. God doesn't change, but part of God's unchanging will is that his creatures participate and cooperate in his work. He does not change, but we do. And surely part of how we change is just in this learning more and more about the God who has revealed himself to us in history. What changes between Exodus 32 and Luke 15, between the God who seems to want to destroy his people in wrath and the God who welcomes the stray son back with mercy and grace? God does not change, nor are there here, like the Marcionites of every age might suggest, two radically different gods. What do we understand now in light of Christ's own revelation of the heart of God? We understand that it is God's property to always have mercy, as our prayer of humble access says. We understand that God's grace is freely available, overflowing from his wounded side like a torrent of power and love, waiting to wash us and heal us and nourish us in his sacraments. Like the Father in the parable, God is ever running towards us to meet us and bring us home. He holds no grudges. It costs him nothing to be merciful. Or rather, we should say, it costs him nothing that he has not already given. And he has already given everything in his son. In other words, God is not just sitting around looking for a reason to punish us. He is not like the, the spider dangling us over the fires of hell in the famous image of Jonathan Edwards. We do that 
to ourselves quite well, thanks to our thanks to our corrupted sinful nature and the encouragement of the powers of darkness at work in the world. God doesn't have to repent to show mercy. We do. We have to repent. And when we do, God is ready to save us. Not everyone likes this. There will always be the older brothers of the world, whether the, the longtime Catholics who resent converts or the, the frequent penitent who looks askance at those just waltzing up to Holy Communion week after week, or, or those looking for an excuse to judge the other guests at the wedding banquet. But today we also find those, in fact, who, who, who go to the opposite extreme, who suggest that because Jesus ate with sinners, that sin doesn't matter and everyone is just fine the way they are. But God the Son did not take human nature and die on the cross just to tell us that everything is okay. He did it both to bring us to repentance and to show us that no power in this world can stop him from accepting that repentance. Whether we are the older son or the younger son or one of the hired hands, we have a loving father who cannot and will not stop loving us, who shares with us his own life. All we have to do is ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stolen Maniple podcast. For more information on our church and upcoming events, please visit Augustine of Canterbury.org. And don't forget to subscribe to hear future episodes.